Listening to the Spirit. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter 13? And uh, John chapter 13, Jesus tells us something uh, very interesting here as we continue to look here in the book of Ephesians. Now we are in John starting off tonight. But uh, the truth is, what we find is Jesus here in John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. As he tells his disciples there in the last, as they're in the upper, the last supper, and they're in the upper room, and he's talking with them that he's going to die, and uh, he's going to prepare a place for them. He's going to leave them uh, a comforter, the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, we're going to look at that uh, in light of that as the topic with which we're studying God's word tonight. John chapter thirteen, verse one. Uh, as we look here in the upper room. Uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ, a very intimate scene with he and his disciples. And uh, John 13, 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world and the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Verse 5, we find something interesting about the Lord Jesus Christ. After that, he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. I saw this friend of mine, he had made this uh, statement, or he posted this, and uh, in the statement it said, sometimes I joke about what I'd do if I had one day left to live. Eat junk, go crazy, etc. Today it hit me, Jesus knew, and he washed the disciples' feet. What a remarkable picture as we think about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he did for his disciples in the last hours before he would go to that cross. The event before us is not a bon voyage party as the disciples are going to say goodbye to the Lord Jesus Christ before his crucifixion. It's not like an executive leaving a job after a prestigious career. The intimate gathering of friends here, Jesus and his very short ministry of three, three and a half years, it's more like a tearful goodbye of a, of a close, beloved friend. The believers here, the disciples, sense something of great importance is about ready to happen, and he tells them that. He's telling them it's the last dinner I'm going to have with you. Tender warmth, careful instruction, and fatherly warnings. And I'm thankful here what we have here in John that you don't have in your other Gospels, of an intimate discussion with Christ and his disciples. John the Beloved captures, it does talk about the upper room in the other Gospel, but it doesn't talk about it to the degree that John does. In these final statements before Christ enters into the garden, So here in this upper room, he's speaking of his coming departure and warning them that they will not understand everything that will happen. He tenderly confirms his love for them. He affirms his deity, that he is Christ, he is God. But he asks them also that he will give them another comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, that will come to help them in the ministry to which he's called them to Responding to the Spirit of God, and how do we, we're going to be looking at the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 talks about, and grieve not the Holy Spirit, grieve not the Spirit, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, in this 
and we'll look at that verse and, uh, as well uh, in time. But as we think about responding to the Spirit of God, understanding the ministry of the Spirit in our lives. There's a lot of misconceptions about the Spirit. We must be exact as the Word of God is exact. And so with that being said, let us go to the Lord and ask for His blessing upon this time as we look and study God's Word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this evening. Father, I thank You for Your precious Word of God. Lord, there's never any wonder about Yourself. Lord, You've revealed Yourself through Your Word. Father, You've told us what's coming. You've told us the end of the story. You've told us the beginning of the story. And Lord, You've told us our position in life and our need for a Savior. And Father, tonight as I preach Your Word, I need Your help. That Lord, You'd help me to do it with the exactness and accuracy of Your Word. Lord, guide my lips, guide my heart and thoughts. And Father, I yield this all to Thee. I love You. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. John chapter 14, if you're there, and John, turn with me to John chapter 14. And uh, what you see up there is not all of it, but uh, John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. About his final conversations here with his disciples prior to being taken away and uh, prior to the garden of Gethsemane, where he will go with his disciples here shortly. John chapter 14, verse 16. It is amazing that Jesus, he does not want his disciples to be left without his influence. And that's exactly what God has done from time immemorial, from the beginning of time. God walked and talked with Adam and Eve. He walked and talked. He was there with Cain and Abel. I mean, he confronted Cain. He, he was happy. He was pleased with Abel. We find that God in Israel had the tabernacle. He could be amongst his people. He had the temple to be amongst his people. God has always wanted to be amongst his people. He's always wanted to have his presence there with his people. And Jesus there, God in person, God incarnate, there amongst his disciples. He said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send someone else. John 14, 16, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. A little bit further, John 14, verses 25 through 27. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. What things will they bring to remembrance? What things will the Spirit of God bring to the disciples' remembrance? What he's saying? No. Whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Holy Spirit of God always points back to Jesus Christ. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world uh, giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So once again, the Holy Spirit of God is pointing back to Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus said. And we always find that in the Old Testament, it pointed to the Messiah, then Jesus was there, and then once Jesus is gone, the Spirit of God points back to Jesus, what he's done and what he will do in the future when he comes back. And so, I will not leave you comfortless. Going on from this, John 15, 26, 
But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Once again, the Spirit of God is pointing back to Jesus Christ. He is never elevating himself. The Spirit of God doesn't elevate himself. Oftentimes there's a lot of uh, movement today about the Spirit of God, Spirit moving. But it's, the Spirit doesn't elevate himself. He always elevates Christ, as the Scriptures attest. In John chapter 16, look with me here. It says 13 through 14, but in context, it's verses 7 through 16. Let's look at this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Again, pointing back to Christ. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. So what we find here is the Spirit of God is not giving you and I some special revelation. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So it's the Word of God. It's not the Spirit speaking to my spirit that is guiding me and leading me. It's the wisdom through God's word. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive a mind and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take a mind and shall show it unto you. A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. These passages provide a clue as to discerning the ministry that Jesus intended, you know, the Holy Spirit would have here on earth. Much confusion exists on the role of the Holy Spirit of God, and these wrongs perceptions can be clarified if we understand what Jesus is saying in these passages of Scripture. He shall glorify me. So the Holy Spirit of God is never elevating that you're getting some secret uh, agreement, much like Joseph Smith. I mean, he had this, you know, this whatever angel that spoke to Angel Moroni, and, and all these other cults and wrong beliefs, they always have this angel or something. But the angel is not pointing back to Jesus Christ. And so if we don't understand the Spirit's ministry, we're losing out on what God wants to do in our lives. The Spirit of God, He leads us, He guides us, but He always does it in consistency with Jesus Christ. The Bible certainly teaches that the the Spirit of God does enable us. He does empower us. Look with me at Galatians chapter 5. And obviously by the very virtue of the name, the Comforter, he gives comfort of God's presence being with us. He enables us to battle the flesh. Right? Galatians 5, 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Excuse me. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. So again, the Spirit of God, he's leading me, but he's leading me in, in, in that which is contrary to my flesh. So it's not that he's just giving me some revelation apart from the Word of God, or in contrast with the Word of God. We also understand that the the, the, the Holy Spirit, uh, his activity is to develop holiness. God's called us to be holy as he is. Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. 
If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. And so the fact is, there's no doubt that the Spirit is affecting or producing the fruit of Christ's likeness in us as we yield to Him, yield to His influence in my spirit, my spirit with His Spirit, as He leads and guides me. But He does so through the Word of God. But sanctification is not the only ministry here. There's a teaching role, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's look here. Put these up here. 2 Corinthians 3.18. It reads here, but verse 17, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. He enables us to understand the Word. He helps us to understand it. He helps us to discern spiritual things, things that are right, things that are wrong. 1 John 2, 27, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So again, he's helping us, he's enabling us to understand God's word. God always points to his word. And uh, John 15, 26, going back there to our main passages of scripture in John 13 through 16, but John 15, 26. Yes, he, gives, he does empower us. He does help us in holiness. He does give us teaching. But that's still not the main goal here. John 15, 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of the truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit's principal ministry is to make real to us the presence of our Master Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is my Lord. John 16, 13 through 16, as we had looked at earlier, howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you to all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. So once again, as we see up there on the slide, the Holy Spirit's principal ministry is to make real to us the presence of our Master Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is central to everything we do. And that God would continue to do once Jesus Christ left the earth and he gave us the Spirit of God to continue to point us back. Christ is my Savior, but I want to be, as a disciple, as a Christian, he was like Christ, right? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And there's the very truth that I will follow him. Everything we do ought to be for Christ. He's central to all of that. And the Holy Spirit of God is leading me and guiding me to be a disciple of Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's to represent Jesus Christ as the present comforter. He speaks to us of Christ. The Spirit's ministry is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me. But always look at Him. See His glory. Listen to Him. Hear His word. Go to Him, have life, get to know Him, taste His gift of joy and peace. The Spirit of God is not 
elevating himself. He's always pointing to Jesus. If the Holy Spirit's ministry is to make real to us the presence of our Master, Jesus Christ, what means does he use to do this? He uses illumination. We've read the scriptures, important to concentrate really on the setting of the narrative, what's going on here as Jesus is talking with his disciples there in the upper room, they're, they're having the Last Supper, they're celebrating the Passover uh, there on Tuesday night, he dies on Wednesday night, and we don't have Good Friday, that's a Catholic thing, but he died on Wednesday night and arose again. Now the, Catholic, the uh, Jewish calendar is from 6 at night till 6 in the morning, or 6 to 6 is the Jewish calendar as opposed to our 12 to 12. So their days are a little bit different than ours. But <clears throat> what we ought to do is that God has given us illumination through his word. That is the authority The Spirit's mission is making Christ's presence real to us rather than granting us some sort of, you know, sanctified imagination that God, the Spirit told me this, the Spirit gave me this vision or this prophecy. He's not going to contradict His Word. He'll never contradict His Word. He's not going to give you some revelation or illumination that's in contradiction of God's Word because if it's in contradiction to God's Word, then it's not of God because He would be inconsistent in His character. So, you know, there's all these novels and movies and all sorts of stuff that really elevates this kind of superstitious element on the Spirit of God. You know, people, well, I felt this, and I, you know, all this feeling here, and all of this stuff can come upon us, and, but the method the Holy Spirit uses to make aware to us of the abiding presence of Jesus Christ is simply illumination. It's not Bible reading alone that changes a man. It's, I'm reading it, but I'm also acting out what I'm reading. Right? You know, in, in Matthew 16, 13, Jesus asked his disciples, Whom say ye that I am? Right? And uh, Peter answered with a powerful statement, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, 16. It's instructive of him, and, and it lets us know here and John, uh, let's look here, uh, Matthew 16, 17. Verse 15, give you the context for what's going on. And he saith unto them, But whom see ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Peter had an illumination, but it pointed to Jesus for who he really was. In fulfill- Again, he's understanding what the Bible is saying, and the prophecy of who Jesus is as the Messiah, the promised one. So there's an illumination, and it moves, it, it, it compels the believer forward. As we think about this. So truth that is illuminated by the Holy Spirit of God has three primary effects upon the believer. Uh, truth does not become reality when illuminated, but it's always real. It provides a measure of assurance of truth. And so number one, the illuminated truth moves the believer intellectually. God, as you're reading a portion of his word, you begin to see something you never saw before. 
You can read the Bible over and over and over again, and every time you're reading the Bible through, you're seeing new things. You're re- it's understanding new things about God. There's an intellectual understanding of God's character. Jesus promised his disciples in the upper room that the Comforter would testify of him, and uh, he's giving us, you know, a, we get to know Christ more. The Comforter indwells us, 2 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. Talked about us as the uh, temple of the Holy Spirit of God, every one of us as believers. You know, real life experience is not enough to remove the doubts. It lets us know, you know, through the, and the Spirit of God cries within us, Abba, Father, giving us, you know, yes, I did with the Scriptures, but there's times you're like, did I really... Uh, get saved, you know, and the Spirit of God gives us, if I did what the Bible said, to get saved, I repent of my sin, I ask Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins, be my Savior, trusting exclusively in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God, He gives me the assurance of my salvation as I walk with Him. In Luke chapter 24, 45, there's a confidence, there's a boldness that we understand, that notice what Jesus did to his disciples, he continually pointed them to scriptures. He did that with Satan, he did that with the Pharisees, yea, hath God said, I mean, over and over again, he would take them to scriptures, what God said. Luke 24, 45, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. The Spirit of God helps us to understand the scriptures. The world, the lost, they don't have the Spirit of God to give them the illumination to understand Scripture. Jesus would speak in parables, and the Pharisees, and they're like, I don't know what he's talking about. But as, but as believers, they could understand, and Jesus would explain these truths. Number two, illuminated truth moves the believer emotionally. It becomes attractive to us. It becomes desirous for us. It becomes uh, as something that I want to know about. I mean, it, it just, not only is it intellectual knowledge, but it impacts me when you hear the preaching of God's word. Have you ever been sitting there and, you, and you're hearing preaching and all of a sudden you come under great conviction or you get really excited because you hear something new about God and it, it just encourages and it challenges you and you begin to see the beauty of God and His holiness or you begin to see the grandeur of God or how wicked you are or areas of your life and it moves you emotionally and the spirit of God does that he shows that to us I mean just recently as I've been doing some of my devotions and God's been showing me some things about himself as I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Mount and particularly what is often titled the Lord's Prayer there in Matthew chapter 6 I just realized some truths. I said, wow, I never saw that before. And I've gotten excited. In 1674, Jeremiah Burroughs addressed this when he said, above all things in the world, the word of God has the most glory in it. Though it's true, a soul for a long time, while it is in darkness, sees nothing of this. But when God's good time has come to work graciously upon the heart, God opens to this heart such a divine luster shining in the word that it never saw before, which makes the heart now stand in awe of it more than it ever did before. There's never a fear when we understand that Christ is with us. Over and over again as I come to the scriptures and maybe I'm struggling and I'm in a hard day 
And I said, God, I just need some encouragement. I open up his word and I begin to do my devotions and I'm there studying it and meditating. And all of a sudden, God reveals a truth that I hadn't seen exactly what I needed for that day to give me the encouragement. There's an illuminated truth. The truth is there. I just didn't see it before. And the Spirit of God continues to reveal more and more about himself through his word. We also find that illuminated truth moves the believer volitionally. That means of your mind, your will, your volition, your will. It's, an energy, it's kind of a, a motivation that not only do I see it, not only am I emotionally impacted, but now it's changed my will to want to do whatever the Spirit of God is, whatever the Word of God through the Spirit of God is leading me to do. Right in Isaiah. Uh, 6-8, Isaiah, when he, you know, is, here am I, send me. There's oftentimes, as you come to mission conference and evangelism, this idea, you know, Apostle Paul, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You can't just absorb the Scriptures, you can't just read the Scriptures and never act them out. It's an act of your will. God is speaking to you through the Spirit of God. So God's Spirit speaks to my spirit, which impacts my soul, my mind, my emotions, and will, saying, here's something I want you to do, or here's something you shouldn't do. And it moves me, and so now I'm compelled to a particular course of action. And if I don't go that course of action, then as the Scriptures say, I grieve the Spirit of God. And these first century believers would take the gospel all over illuminated their minds. These early century believers, the first century church, I mean, they went out and gave out the gospels, and through the centuries, the gospel has been given forth. The power of God unto salvation. There's the power of God as we become his children. Now, the Holy Spirit shows us Jesus Christ is, and let's look at several of these things tonight. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, let's go back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. This is the story of the the man who built his house on the rock and the man, the foolish man who built his house on the sand. As a disciple of Christ, we hear and then we do. If you hear and you don't do, The Bible has a different word for you. You're not a disciple. Matthew chapter 7, he would say, you're a foolish, is what he would say, a fool. Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. He's saying, though there may be trials in your life coming, you still do what you know you need to do. Your will is submitted to doing what Jesus said. You hear and you do, irrespective of circumstances. Verse 26, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. He heard, he heard the sayings of mine, but he didn't do them. And as we read the Old Testament, the Gospel accounts, we understand something. That the Acts of the Apostles tell me, and told his followers, they would go everywhere preaching his death, burial, and resurrection. 
There was a preoccupation with Christ. The Holy Spirit of God continues to help us when we're distracted in life. Maybe something else has arisen in our lives, and it's easy to get distracted. Every one of us, I know for myself, over and over again, the Spirit of God's convicting me. Hey, pull back. Hey, come back. Let's keep your focus on Christ. These men, the early apostles, would preach Christ. What was it they would abandon Christ before the cross? After the resurrection, they went to death for Christ. One, they abandoned him. Then they never abandoned him. The Spirit of God enabled them and empowered them to preach Christ. There was an awareness of three things. The first is that Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of the Scriptures, once crucified, now glorified, is here personally approaching and addressing me. The second, let me, <laughs> lost my spot there, let's go. All right, the second, he's active, powerfully, enlightening, animating and transforming me along with others. As he stirs our sluggishness and sharpens our mind through the word of God. And that he himself is also glorious, pointing us to worship him, to adore him. Every text of portion of scripture really is Jesus Christ as he's talking to his disciples and saying, hey, he's preparing them for when he's gone. He's preparing the leaders. The Christian life is that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So he is here. We understand this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And what we ought to do before we look at this verse, in 1 John 5, 20, you can turn there. primary responsibility of the Holy Spirit with respect to Christ is he's pointing us to Jesus Christ. He helps us in the Word of God to understand it, to do the mission with which Jesus has called us to. We understand in Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission, or 18 through 20, the Great Commission is given to his early church. He's saying, go out, evangelize, once they're saved, you disciple, churches are formed, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's what a church does. The Holy Spirit shows us that Jesus Christ is here. Matthew 28, 20. I'll look there. Before, I know I said 1 John 5, but Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Didn't he say, I'm, I'm leaving and I'll leave a, a comforter with you? Yes. But he says, the comforter is always pointing me back to my relationship with Christ. He said, I'm with you. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13.5 We have the presence of Christ with us. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is God. And He says, I am with you always. Verse Matthew 28, 20, as He said. He's telling His disciples, yes, I'm ascending into heaven, but I am with you always. 
He wants the assurance that we are his own. He wants an assurance that we know we're doing his will, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. Going forth from that, his presence with us is a living reality. If I'm there fighting loneliness, I'm fighting bitterness, I'm fighting fear or resentment, that Jesus Christ is there. You know, martyrs of of the past. You can read Fox's book of martyrs and other books about believers of the past. But the Spirit, I mean, the Spirit is guiding me and and leading me through His Word. And the understanding that there is Christ with me. He's interceding at my, uh, the right hand of the Father, interceding on my behalf. That God is with me. You know, as the martyrs go to the stake, they're not thinking, They're not trying to convince themselves that that God is with them. They know that God is with them. The Spirit continues to to, uh, confess that. I mean, it just lets them know that God is with us. They're not trying to talk themselves into this, believing this truth. There's a notion today, much in this whole transgender uh, thing, that people are like, I need you to affirm my identity. Well, your identity is who God made you to be. I can affirm all day long that I'm a duck, but it doesn't mean I'm a duck. If I'm a child of God, the Spirit of God indwells me and lets me know that I am His own. And so when these martyrs are going to the stake, they know they're doing it for Christ. Christ is with them in a very special way, empowering them and strengthening them and comforting their mind in a a situation many times that's beyond human capabilities. Uh, You much find find there in the Old Testament with the three Hebrew boys, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as their Babylonian names. But nevertheless, there, the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Jesus Christ there with them in the furnace. And the Holy Spirit of God shows us that Christ is here. I want you to look with me, Isaiah 43. I'll draw this to a close on this portion. I'll have to pick it up next week. Isaiah 43. You know, I'm so thankful for the Spirit of God to convict me, to comfort, to strengthen me, but He's continually pointing me to who Christ, to the Word of God, the things that I need to change in my life. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west." In the Old Testament, God wanted his people to know that he was with them. In the New Testament, God wants his people to know that he's with them. There's never a time in all of humanity that God did not want his people to know that he was with them. God is personal. It's a relationship. Now Israel failed to be the ambassadors that they should have, and so now we have the Jews and Gentiles today as the, under the institution of the local churches going out the church, right? The local church is a pillar and ground of the truth. 
But they knew the presence of Jesus Christ. Israel, God says, I want you to know I'm with you. The Spirit of God leading me and guiding me to know that Jesus is with me. And I'll talk more next time. I won't go any further on this, but just understanding that Jesus Christ here in John chapters 13 through 16, as we really, as I draw this to a close tonight, if Jesus makes such an emphasis, he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless, I'm not going to leave you alone. In the Old Testament, as we just read here in Isaiah 43, I'm with you. He would tell Joshua, I'm with you. Moses and Abraham and others, I'm with you. All throughout the Bible, I'm with you. Now, there were times where Israel would go away from God and and there would be judgment. But repentance always restored that. The Spirit of God is leading me and pointing me to Jesus Christ that I could be conformed to His image. We as Christians ought to understand what a privilege we have of a God who wants us to know Him. He wants that close relationship as a father with a child. And maybe sometimes there might not always be that understanding from a human way of a father that's close with their child, but the scriptures of a father that's close with his child. Jesus Christ says, I want you to know that I'm with you. I'm with you always, Matthew 28, 20. Isn't that amazing? I mean, as he's there ascending into heaven, (laughs) this last moments still with you. Christian, we have a privilege. It doesn't matter what you're going through, understand this, that God is right there by our side, helping us, strengthening us. As we come to His Word through the Spirit of God, illuminating Scripture to give me the food that I need for that day and every day. Right? Jesus said, man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Again, appointing to the Word of God. We have a great privilege. And I trust this is an encouragement as you think about what the Holy Spirit of God does to point us to Christ. You're not alone. What you may be going through, you're not alone. And as we yield to the Spirit of God, and we yield to God through the Word of God, He enables us to do what we've been called to do. And so tonight, as I bring this into invitation period and conclude it, maybe just thank God that He's given us a comforter that we're never alone. That we're not all by ourselves. That the great God who formed us, the Creator God who made us, He didn't just say, I'll make you and leave you alone. He came to earth. He died on that cross. He desires to reconcile us to Himself. When we're reconciled, He gives us His Spirit to let us continually know that Christ is there with us, that He's with us. What a lovely, wonderful, amazing God we serve. And I trust tonight we thank Him for it. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, understand that it is your sin that created that separation, that you're unable to get to Christ except through repent of your sin and ask Christ to forgive you and be your Savior. 
you must understand that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Trusting in Him alone. And so Christian, if you don't know Christ, if you don't know Christ tonight and you're not a Christian, I trust that you would ask Him to be your Savior this evening. As a Christian, may we just thank God that we're never alone. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, when you're done praying, feel free to look up and I will conclude us in prayer and then we'll come to our prayer time. you're done praying, just look up and I'll conclude us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Father, I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have to boldly come into the throne of grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, you've put within us the Spirit of God, your Spirit, Lord, that shows us when we're off, when we've grieved you, Lord, when we're not right, when we're not displaying Christ, when we're not being what we ought to be. And Father, also at other times when we're struggling, Lord, you let us know that you're there along right with us. Lord, that you're with us, leading us all the way. Father, I pray that each and every one of us as believers would hear the word of God and we would do it. Lord, we'd be obedient what you've called us to do. Father, that we'd let the world know that there is a Savior who loves them and declare the glorious gospel. Father, we're servants of yours, children of yours. And Lord, may we be the ambassadors of reconciliation, of reconciling people unto yourself as you give us the words and you give us the boldness as the apostles would pray, that the other believers would pray for them to have boldness. And Lord, we need the boldness that only you give through the Spirit of God. 
Lord, may we honor you and glorify you. I thank you for this evening. Thank you for the precious word of God you've preserved. And Lord, may we glorify you as we live out our lives. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.